Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing good? It is good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. I want to welcome all of our campuses across the region that are joining with us today. And we're joining with you in fellowship together. That's awesome. If you're uh, online, we're thankful for each and every one of you. I got to tell you that uh, I'm at the 48th Street campus right now. It's starting to fill up. Have you noticed in that? Yeah. And uh, I know we sit in every other row and we do the social distancing. We're doing all of that. But it's just it's just you can't imagine. Just it's just so good. It's just so good. And uh, I appreciate so much your faithfulness, you know, hanging in there with us. And you've also been incredibly faithful in the area of giving. And uh, it's not like we, we have some big surplus, but every, every week uh, I meet with our finance team, right? And every week we've had enough. Well, you know, it's kind of like manna. <laughs> it's enough. It's always enough. And uh, God's providing, and he's doing that through you. And I want to give glory to God for that and for each one of you that, that have been faithful and have sacrificed. We know that uh, summer is always, always a, a bit of a difficult time. And, uh, you know, here we are in the fall, and uh, God has been faithful uh, through all of that. So for those of you that have sacrificed, thank you so much. And uh, you know what that is. That, that's faith in action, really is. It's just faith in action. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about faith. Now, some of you uh, that were here last week said, well, that's what we talked about last week, Jerry. I mean, you were in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews is all about faith. Well, Allison and I, we'll, we like to sit at the dinner table early in the morning. She's trying to do her devotions. I'm interrupting her all the time. I'm working on uh, sermon stuff, and, and she's uh, working on other things. And uh, we're talking about the similarity between the book of Hebrews and the book I'm going to talk about today, the book of James. And she just nailed it. You know, she said, if Hebrews is the textbook of faith, then James is the YouTube video. And she's exactly right, because the book of James is like, uh, like a how-to. How many of you have gotten onto YouTube because you want to you wanna know how to do something and you can actually watch someone do it on the video? Raise your hand, all of our locations, if you do that. I just love that. It's so much harder for me to get that out of a, out of a textbook, and it's so much easier when I actually watch somebody else do it and then imitate what they do. Well, that's kind of what... James is with faith, where Hebrews is the soaring theological treatise on faith. When you get to the book of James, it's just real simple how to do it kind of stuff. And there's so much practicality in this book. And I think that we need that practicality, especially right now, because what we're dealing with in our culture that requires faith is just enormous. I mean, we, I mean, really, we, we really need it right now. So uh, we're going to look at James chapter 2 and chapter 3. A lot of times when we're in the book of James, we really concentrate on James 1 because there's so much great stuff there. But I'm just going to take these little lesser known chapters and, and we're going to dive into those, okay? So where we're going today is in three areas. What I think 
what I do and what I say. How practical is that? Okay, so we're talking about how faith interfaces with those three things. What I think, what I do, and what I say. And we need to start with what I think because that's the source or the root of everything else. What you do and what you say really proceeds out of what you think. So let's look at James chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 to help us understand how to manage what we think with faith. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated? Is that a word we're hearing a lot right now? That we're dealing with a lot right now? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you're, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now let me share with you how that connects with what I think, what you think. Don't we tend to make judgment based on what we see? Like we'll look at a person and we'll size them up. It's human nature, right? And what are we looking at? We're looking at their appearance. We're looking at the way they take care of themselves. We're, we're, we're looking at like the, their style of clothes. We're looking at the car they drive. We're looking at the house they live in. We're, we're making judgments based on what we see. Maybe on their choice of words. Maybe on the color of their skin. Maybe on the condition of their clothes. On occupation, on nationality, on gender. You know, you get it, right? We tend to make judgments based on what we see. I want you to think about how much division there is in our culture right now. It's just incredible. It's just an incredible, exponentially more than I've ever experienced in my lifetime. How do we deal with this when it comes to faith? How do I, and I'm not talking about dealing with a situation. I'm talking about dealing with me. I'm talking about you dealing with you. How, how I deal with with put faith into my thought life so that I'm very careful when it comes to this idea of making judgments based on what I see. You remember last week, I quoted a scripture from 2 Corinthians about walking by faith, and I connected it with walking through life backwards. We walk by faith and not by sight. So if what we see is connected to our thought life, like we make judgments based on what we see, 
Does that really work? Because like that scripture, I've always taken that scripture more as a vertical scripture. Like this has to do with how God views me and how I'm supposed to live my life walking by faith and not by sight as it applies to faith in him. But what about how that same scripture would apply to my relationship with other people? That instead of walking by sight when it comes to other people, like making judgments on the basis of what I see, what if with other people I would walk by faith? That my faith in God would be reflected by how I choose to view people. How, do I, how would I do that? How do I walk by faith with people? So like in 1 Corinthians 13, it connects faith to two other huge ideas, and that's hope and love, right? The three greatest gifts, faith, hope, and love. See, faith, it connects to hope and love. So faith should uh, be empowered by hope and love. What I want to do is I, I want us to see how we walk by faith when it comes to viewing other people. What if I was challenged to view people that way? Instead of viewing people by what I see, because I don't walk by sight, instead I walk by faith, what if that walking by faith is empowered by hope and love? Like when I look at a person, I view them with hope. What does it mean to view a person and view them with hope? It means that I want to see a person presently with all of their potential already. Like, imagine what God might do with that person and in that person's life. Maybe that God is doing something right now so incredibly important in that person's life, and they have so much potential. That, to me, is what it means to view a person in hope. Like, they, they're going to be in my family for eternity. That's viewing a person in hope, right? What if I was viewing a person in love? And just looking at them and not, instead of judging them or condemning them or trying to find the things that I can put them down for, at least in my mind, so that I feel better about myself, instead of doing that, that I just view them in love. Not in cynicism, not in transference. A lot of us do that, you know. We've had a bad experience with someone similar, and so what we want to do is transfer all of that on everybody that reminds us of that particular experience or that person or try to uh, judge them on in view of the way to culture like right now i've never seen american culture stereotype people more i mean we just stereotype everybody you have one similarity to somebody else and it's you're this whole thing there's an entire narrative right that is created where this weight of culture now this is wrong if I walk by faith in my relationship to other people, it's going to change the entire way that, that I see them, right? And it's in my thought life. I don't know if you may remember this, but I, I've preached it a few times in the past in different circumstances about sin, how sin enters your life, because all sin enters your life the same way. It's all begins, it all begins in your thought life. And I did a sermon a couple of times called the seven E's of sin. You remember that? 
And it's all about your thought life. And here are the seven E's, right? First one is the entrance of a thought. Because that's where sin begins. And that's where judgment begins or condemnation begins. You see something and it just goes into your mind. Entrance of a thought. Second E is, is the entertainment of the thought. Entertainment is when I don't just expel that thought because it's not of God, it's not of hope, it's not of love, but I let it stick around in my, in my head. You know, I invite it in the front door and you can sit down on the living room couch. That's the entertainment of a thought. Third one is the examination of the thought. That's where I'm kind of going, well, you know, it's kind of bad, and you know, it's kind of, here's the negative, and here's the positive, and I'm choosing, based on weight, what I should do or not. wonder how many times we do that with other people. The fourth one is the enjoyment of a thought. It's where I'm going, I'd rather do this thing that's not of God, not of love, not of hope, and I'm going to view this person this way and judge them and condemn them this way. That's the enjoyment of the thought. The, uh, the uh, fifth one is to experience the thought. This is where it's no longer just in my thought life. It's reflected in my actions. And then I excuse the thought. This is where I rationalize and say, well, I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, but I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer either. Right? And then the final one is to be enveloped by the thought, which is where people look at me and they, and they define me by this thought life I have. Well, you know that person, that's just how they are. I don't know how I feel about the word enjoyment. It would be more of an acceptance as normal, like it's just okay for me to be this way in my thought life when it's not okay. And it's easy for us to, uh, for us to think of like anger and pride and lust when it comes to the seven E's. But this, where we judge people by our thought life, is just as real and it's just as destructive. And you know what? It's hard. It is hard to, to lean into your relationship with Jesus Christ enough that you do not allow yourself to go down that road of the seven E's. And you might think that those seven E's might take a long time. Actually, you can do all seven of those in about a half a second. You know? But this is where it begins. It begins in my head. It begins in my thought life. And if my thought life is messed up, the other two things are never, ever going to get right. So here's the challenge. What needs to happen right now in your thought life? How can I know what to do with that? So let me ask you this. What are the things right now that you're actually doing or saying that you know they're out of bounds? Like if Jesus Christ was standing next to you, which by the way, he is, and he would go, and, he, and you would allow yourself to think a certain thing, and he would know what you were thinking, that Jesus would kind of go, really? Seriously? You, you, you remember why I died on the cross? Because that's all you too. You know that they were out of bounds from the things that Jesus has taught you. And here's the deeper question, okay? Not just am I practicing those behaviors or I'm thinking those thoughts. Where is that coming from? What if you ask yourself that question? One question deeper. What is it that's motivating me 
to allow myself to have those thoughts when it comes to other people? What's at the root of it? What thoughts are inside your head, inside your heart right now and mine that need to be changed? You know what? You can ask for Jesus for help. You can ask Jesus to help you see that. And and that today, today, you can do something positive, and that is to judge yourself with righteous judgment, to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus, and then let him help you. Because Jesus is not here to condemn you. He's not here to judge you. That's what he died on the cross for. He's here to help you. And he's here to help me. So James has given us really practical advice when it comes to what I think. Well, let's go one step further because these two other steps proceed out of what I think. How about what I do? James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or works. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith that I have deeds. This is so profound. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. The demons believe that and shudder. Listen, if your thought life is out of whack, it's going to affect your actions. It's going to affect what you do. And I have to tell you, honestly, I have been guilty of being so bent in a particular area of thought that my actions or my lack of actions would indict me. How about you? The scripture tells us that the nature of faith is to act, and if it doesn't act, well, then it's not really faith. You know, I don't think it's any accident when you read your New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus. This is the truth that I base my life on, right? And then the very next book, is the book of Acts. (laughs) So it's like, based on this, based on this person and what I know about this person and what he teaches me and tells me, this is what's next. The very next thing is to act, right? When the gospel comes into our hearts, there should be a book of personal acts to follow it. Like, this is what I'm doing. Now, this this is really important what I'm going to say right now. Don't miss this, right? We do not do the things that we do for God in order to earn the favor of God. I'm going to say that again. We do not do the things that we do to honor God in order to earn the favor of God, because you can't earn the favor of God. But it's a response to the favor of God already given. All right? Got to understand that. That's so critical to understand that. It's a response to God because he's already given his favor. Now, I have, I have met lots of people that have no shortage of energy to argue a biblical issue in my ministry life or some theological fine point. 
But really, if you're to look at it, their lives carry no reflection of their highly held truth. John Maxwell said people are educated well beyond their level of obedience. And I completely agree with that, right? And the old axiom is true. Actions speak louder than words. That's right. Makes me think of one of my favorite movies, Hacksaw Ridge tells the true story of a man named Desmond Doss during World War II who was much maligned for being a conscientious objector during World War II. His faith did not allow him to carry a gun or to kill other people. And so he was thought to be a coward uh, because he wasn't willing to carry a rifle or kill the enemy. And he was treated like a coward. I mean, brutally treated like a coward. But his actions proved otherwise when he saved as a medic, he saved somewhere between 50 and 100 infantrymen alone in the Battle of Okinawa. And he was, did it while being wounded himself. And he was the only conscientious objector in World War II to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. You know why? Because actions speak louder than words. When I was a seventh grader, my father noticed something about me, go figure, that I was having a problem with bragging. I mean, if I thought I was good at something, I would just go tell everybody that even didn't want to hear, like, how, how good I was. I'm just really good at this. I thought you would like to know that, because, I mean, it'll, it'll help you in your life to know how good I am. And my dad saw that. He saw this action in my life. And he took me aside. And my dad always had these great whiz, uh, axioms of wisdom. And, he, and I never forgot. And this is one of them. He took me aside and he said, you know, Jerry, if you're really good at something, you don't have to tell anybody. They just know it. Stuck with me. What are you doing right now for Jesus that is letting your actions speak louder than your words right now. Now, I'm not asking you that so you can go tell everybody else how great you are. I'm asking this so that you know that your actions are actually demonstrating the truth of what you actually believe. Because that's what James is saying. James is saying that faith is evidenced by what you do. It begins in your thought life, but it's evidenced by what you do, right? Number three, what you say. What you think, what you do, what you say. James chapter three, verses three to six says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them to obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts, Jerry, the seventh grader. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. 
Wow. Reminds me of a story of a friend of mine many years ago. Uh, I went with him. He uh, was a farmer, also raised hogs. And one of the things you do when you raise hogs, especially for breeding, these were gilts, and he was uh, raising them for breeding, is you have to do what's called a slaughter check. Now, I just earned a lot of points with farmers, okay, that I actually know that. So I went with this friend to this meatpacking plant with a load of hogs for this slaughter check. And while we were, then there was a long line of trucks and people with trailers doing this. And so people were getting out of their trucks and uh, talking with one another. And there was a guy in front of us that got out of his truck and my friend got out of the truck and I got out with him and they started talking. And this guy in front of us began a tirade of expletives. Just one cuss word after another. Like almost every word was a cuss word. And I had enough of it. I mean, I mean, I heard him talk like that for a few sentences and I was just done, you know. So I just turned around and got back in the truck like a good Christian who wants to share his faith. <laughs> but not my friend. Oh, my friend started in on him. And he let him get all of this out and then confronted him, saying, you know how many times you just used my Lord's name? He didn't say the Lord, he said my Lord. And you use it in this horrible way, and he goes, that's really offensive to me. And I'm like, oh man, something, because uh, I had the windows down, because I still wanted to hear what was going on. <laughs> and when he confronted this other guy, he found out, <laughs> the guy goes, did I say, did, did I actually say a bad word? And my friend goes, that's all you've said the entire time we've been talking. And he was not even aware. Check this out. He was not even aware that that's what, that was his whole language. And as he continued to talk to my friend, he confessed to him that he was a deacon in his church. Wow. You know, that was before social media. But today, our rhetoric has become so dark, hasn't it? Keyboard warriors nonstop after each other with so much keyboard courage to say all kinds of horrible things. Other people liking it or retweeting it without knowing what's actually going on. Taking up complete strangers' offenses. Now, you know, there's... We have made positive progress because there were some words in the past when I was growing up that were commonly used that are no longer acceptable. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But there are others that are completely acceptable today, and that's not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. I think that much of the attitudes and the actions that we are looking at, experiencing right now, especially in politics... They're that way because of rhetoric. They're that way because of the language we give ourselves permission to use. That we lose our civility. Why do we talk this way? When did we get the idea that it was okay to call people names or to lump them into groups or to label them? If other people need to be confronted, do we handle the conversation with grace or not? I got one more story about my farmer friend today. <laughs> one, 
One day he took me over to a neighbor that uh, he employed to cut wood for him and then would sell it to him. And what he knew about this guy that, of course, I didn't know because I was a complete stranger, is that this guy was like the guy in the line at the slaughter check that he swore nearly every word. Only this time, my friend was just trying to get me. You know, I'm the preacher guy, that, his preacher friend that's with him, and he wanted to see how I was going to react to this guy's incessant swearing. Like, you know, just goad me. So he was setting me up. Now, it got messed up because the guy came out and I got out of the truck and I'm talking to him and he doesn't say a single swear word, completely ruining my friend's whole plan. And it's almost like, can you imagine this guy was an elder in my church? He's like, come on, swear, come on, come on. And this guy didn't, I mean, he just completely did not do what this guy wanted him to do. So he spoiled his fun and I took the opportunity to invite him to church. Name was Blake Campbell. I go, Blake, why don't you come to church? You don't go to church anymore. Why don't you come to church? And Blake goes, wow. No, maybe I will. I might surprise you. You, you might see me show up. We got in the car. My friend was completely upset because he didn't get what he wanted. He couldn't like, there was no punchline to his joke. And instead, I was the guy who invited him to church. So this is kind of my you know, retaliation on the slaughter check. That very next weekend, Blake Campbell came to church for the first time. I saw him in the front row of the back section. Couldn't believe it. Came to church. When the service was over, I went back to the back just so I could greet him and shake his hand. He goes, I haven't been in a church building for 50 years. He goes, I might come back. That guy never missed. For a solid year, he never missed church on Sunday morning. And about a year later, we gave the invitation him, and Blake Campbell walks the aisle. Yeah, true story. And he, was a, he had a hard life. He said, I remember when he was talking about his alcoholism, he goes, I spilt more than most people ever drank. I mean, r rough life. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Check this out. I never once, in all the time I knew Blake Campbell till the day he died, never once heard him use a swear word. You know what that tells me? God can change people. He can change people. And it doesn't begin in what you say. It doesn't begin in what you do. It begins in how you think. That's the YouTube video of James today. Faith in Jesus tells your heart that you are not the same person you used to be. And then your heart begins working on your thought life. Now, it's going to be hypocritical, and it's going to be inconsistent, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to look bad, but it'll begin happening. Faith will be, begin working on your thought life. And when your thought life changes, it's going to affect what you do, and it's going to affect what you say. And before long, your actions, your words, all of those things are going to change. And at this church, The Crossing, that's what we're about. We're about confrontation to change. We don't have a service that doesn't end with this moment where people get a little bit funky in their seats 
because it's intentional to confront you. To come to this moment where you, you, are, you should not be comfortable. To come to this moment when you start looking at your life honestly and critically and you become a judge of yourself and then you realize that mercy and grace is at the foot of the cross and you give yourself permission not to do the negative things, but to do something positive, and that is to come to Jesus Christ, whether it's to accept Him as your Lord and Savior or to let Him do a reconstruction in your life. You know, that's what the Word of God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. And that's what these next few moments are about. Because Jesus came to earth, shed his blood, and died on the cross horribly so that you could have an opportunity for confrontation and change. And he will accomplish it. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.